Welcome to the Just for Kicks podcast. I am joined, as always, by Stephen Pearson. How are you doing today? You were riding quite high last time we spoke, and then Arsenal unceremoniously dropping points to Everton. What the hell, man? We'll get to that. I'm I'm feeling fine. Don't ruin my mood so quickly. Okay. Well, Mike is also with us thousands of miles in the air because he has a Wi-Fi connection, and we got a shared Google Doc up that he's typing feverishly into. So he is with us spiritually, and he certainly has his picks for us. But to be more of a cameo appearance for Mike, I think he'll make his full return next week. The groin is not an easy injury to return from. And I'm glad that he took care of himself. He got on the plane. He went to Holland. He stumped the cash for the Van Persie placenta treatment. I, I just, I'm proud of him for finally finally being assertive with all that nagging groin injury. Aren't you, Steve? Yeah, very responsible. Uh, and when we get him back to full strength, it'll be like a new signing. And we have tons to discuss. Most notably, how all the new signings from this January transfer window have been performing since they've arrived at their new clubs in the Premier League and across Europe and the rest of the world. Where we must begin today is with Manchester City. Short of Real Madrid, they've been the most dominant force in European football for the past 10 years. It's shocking they haven't won a Champions League yet. They've probably been favored to win many. A lot of that can come down to Pep Guardiola's shortcomings tactically, fate, luck, chance, et cetera, et cetera. Regardless, they seem to be the sun, and the rest of world football seems to be orbiting around them every year. The years that they haven't won the Champions League, I'm sorry. Sorry, Real Madrid fans. Many of those years, it feels like City beat themselves not getting there. I love that we're having this conversation about who the best team in Europe is, and it's like all apologies to Real Madrid because they've won all the other ones. <laughs> Everybody else knows their place, but Real Madrid, it's like, sorry, we're apologizing for five, I think. Real Madrid fans, I guess I don't need to apologize to you. You're pretty comfy with your, uh, what is it, 18 Champions League trophies? Is that it? I, I, nearing 18, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Something. The scary. Jack Nicholas of soccer. Yeah, the Jack Nicholas of soccer. But we'll start here. And I'm just going to let the story speak for itself. New York Times, Manchester City charged with years of financial violations. The Premier League has accused City of breaking rules related to revenue, sponsorship, and player contracts. One potential penalty is expulsion from the league. Tarek Pondra writes, The Premier League on Monday charged its reigning champion Manchester City with engaging in years of financial rules violations in its pursuit of trophies, accusations that could result in the most severe punishments in league history, including the prospect that City, one of the most dominant soccer teams in Europe over the past decade, could be ejected from England's top division. The Premier League's list of charges outlined in a news release dotted with legalese and dry references to specific rules and bylaws was remarkable in its scale. Manchester City is accused of more than a hundred violations, including failing to provide accurate financial information, quote, that gives a true and fair view of the club's financial position, end quote, not disclosing contractual payments to managers and players, and failing, as required, to cooperate with Premier League investigators. Steve, it's a lot. Five years ago, City was charged. Similar accusations, similar evidence. They appealed, 
and they got off. You know, ultimately, there was quite a bit wrong with the source of how these materials were obtained, which was via hacking. And ultimately, the EPL, when handling their appeal, could not conclude it in enough time to make a decision. And City, they got off. But do you remember in 2018, that jarring couple months where you looked at the Premier League table and despite the fact that City was number one, there was a big gray bar across them, no matter which site you were looking at, saying they will not be in Europe next year? It felt real. Yeah, and even then it it felt like, you know, the long influential arm of their investment group was going to somehow weasel their way out of it, and they did, but this is... This seems to be a much different situation. I just, the scope and scale of this, and when you really, really get into the weeds of the Premier League's findings and just how studious they were in detailing them, this is a lot they're going to have to deal with, man. Do Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Holland play for Manchester City in two years? Let's start there in terms of your expectations. Judging by their current performance and the impending crisis of the club i would go with no but i think it's important to remember the 2018 investigation was uefa and it was appealed and dismissed on the account of statute of limitations basically and fifa had taken or uefa had taken too long to conduct their investigation there's no such limitation this time and the premier league obviously I have to assume it's got their ducks in a row because they're going to the mattresses against one of their crown jewels. There's a lot of smoke here, and I kind of, before I make any sweeping declarations, want to let the whole process play out because I'm sure there's a lot more information to go. Unfortunately, or fortunately, um, City's having a rocky time of it as is. So maybe it's coming at an opportune time, if there ever is an opportune time. Perhaps more importantly than De Bruyne and Holland. Pep Guardiola is now odds-on to leave Manchester City this summer. He's the second favorite to be the next Premier League manager, booted from his post after only Southampton's Nathan Jones, who is currently in DFL. (laughs) Wait, so we finally have a podcast where we can talk about Pep leaving, and Mike is thousands of miles in the air? Yeah, I mean, I think the natural extension of this, right, is... We'll get some Jesse Marsh eventually, but suddenly this Klopp theory of his has some extreme competitors, um, judging by the news coming out of England this week. Yeah. I mean, if you're the United States of America Soccer Federation, you're making all of these phone calls. Yeah, and we'll get to City's performance on the field. And let's talk about what Pep could be doing in the offseason. But before we get there, our man, Jesse Marsh, has departed Leeds United. What he did last year, when he was basically put in a position to be a straw man for the failings of a club, a previous manager, terrible board decisions, he overcame all the odds. He kept leads up, and in the process, gave a certain credibility to the United States that would have washed away in the middle of the night had he been sacked in the way we all kind of expected him to. Now... Just as things are getting real peachy, for as I dubbed them last week, Team USA East leads with the addition of Weston McKinney, joining up an already star-studded cast of USA contributors. 
I got one question. Did he deserve it? Yeah, from an American perspective, I think it's definitely disappointing, but it's also probably justified. Um, I would have liked to have seen him probably finish the season, but that's the reality of a relegation battle. Um, Their goals kind of dried up. They've had a poor run of form, and frankly, Leeds doesn't really have time to waste on this. Um, He has had about a full season of games now, and Leeds are about where they were when he found them. Um, So it's it's definitely disappointing for such a high-profile American appointment to end this way, but I can't say that Leeds is unjustified in their decision. So Marsh has departed, and let's look at the landscape of the Premier League. We just had a recent hire at Wolves, Lopetegui, totally transformed the entire identity of that side. They were done. Dead. Now, I don't want to play Wolves. Everton. Done. Dead. But in Sean Dyke, they just beat Arsenal, dude. They're full of goals. I mean, does this speak to the parity of the league? And it does that incentivize Leeds to act quicker than they would have in years past? Yeah, I think any of the teams towards the bottom, the margin is so th- razor thin between staying up and entering football league purgatory that, you know, you have to do whatever it takes to win those margins. And Leeds is currently watching all the teams around them make new hires or improve their form. And they're sinking like a stone. Um, I think that definitely accelerated their decision. They pretty much have no time to act now. They, they need to make an improvement and they need to make it fast. Obviously, they don't think Jesse Marsh is that guy. Yeah. Um, So then let's circle back around. Because we've been talking about a lot of guys who could be that guy for Team USA. And obviously, if it comes to pass that Pep Guardiola leaves Manchester City, I would say based on his comments, based on his love for his time spent in New York City, based on how he loved raising his family there, and... I think you got to kind of add, he can't win a Champions League outside of Barcelona. Does he want to go somewhere else and not win the Champions League? These are not enough motivating factors in and of themselves to take on the, the Team USA job. But I certainly think it's not out of the question. But he, today, is certainly quite overqualified for it. A man who's not overqualified for it, it might be a great fit, it's Jesse Marsh. Can you foresee either of them taking the reins before the next World Cup? I can definitely foresee Jesse Marsh taking the reins before Guardiola. Um, Obviously, if he becomes available, it would be prudent to make that phone call for the Federation, but Jesse Marsh obviously seems like a perfect fit in the sense that he's American, he's been through our system, both as a player and now he's a, um, you know, Coached at very high levels in Europe. Um, that kind of experience, plus experience with some of our players, I think is very important and would certainly, in my opinion, be a market improvement on our current setup. Um, I think that Mike's theory of Jurgen Klopp is probably an even better option than that. And Guardiola, depending on your tastes, I suppose, is also an elite option. But um, I, I, I would expect Jesse Marsh to be our manager far before Pep Guardiola. I would too. But you know what we get to do? We get to pretend. And what do you think would be? I'm just going to, I don't buy Klopp. I don't get it. I don't think it's going to happen. But for argument's sake, 
which of these two cats would have a better system for the United States? Because I can see both. I mean, adopting gig and pressing and just the spark and the energy, like it's quintessential kind of American ethos. But I mean, if Pep wanted to run like a four three three false nine, like put Aronson up top and you know, get Reyna involved. I mean, those are both incredibly, incredibly viable and interesting ways that our core could be used. Which would you rather see? I think the United States has the talent to participate in Guardiola's system at this point, but I feel like I would be more excited by the prospect of Klopp ball. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like we're definitely more of an industrious than a skillful nation. So give me some of that and we'll see what happens. I feel like heavy metal football gives us a better chance to win now. I feel like Pep Guardiola gives the entire system like an injection of the future is yours. Here's the secret. Y'all just got to grow into it. But it probably won't be while I'm here. Um, Fair assessment? Yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) Good deal. Well, both those styles of play will be on full display in the UEFA Champions League, which is kicking off just a few days away. We have all the info. We have our forecasts. We have our hot takes. We have our cold takes. And I have my coffee, and it has oat milk in it. All of that on the Just for Kicks podcast after this. Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast, Steve. What were the two most important things when it came to you deciding which classes you were going to be taking in college during the spring semester? I obviously was clearing my afternoons on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to watch the Champions League. And probably Thursday morning, too, so that I could have a few Heinekens. (laughs) (laughs) This really, really is the best professional competition in the world. And I firmly believe that. And I felt like it was our secret for a very long time. And I'm just, just beyond excited that more people are getting excited about the Champions League. We've been reviewing who the favorites are to win the competition. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit dumbfounded. But we'll start by going through the odds of who's going to advance to the next round. And where we might see some uh, inefficiencies. And even though the English Premier League, I firmly believe, is the strongest league in the world, most of them are around English Premier League sides. Whether it's AC Milan and Tottenham, Dortmund Chelsea, hell, even Leipzig Man City. I kind of don't like England's chances in each of those matches. Steve, let's start with AC Milan Tottenham. Tottenham's minus 144 to advance past AC Milan, get into the next round. I'm shocked. I am frankly shocked by that line. Is that branding? Like, what has Tottenham done that would make you think that they're better than this AC Milan team over the course of 180 minutes? They haven't done much, but AC Milan's done even less in the last few weeks. Um, they've lost several games in a row at this point and have looked pretty terrible coming out of the winter break. Um, I know Conte's 
Champions League history is downright terrible. But I think uh, since the limp North London Derby performance and the city capitulation, Tottenham has had two pretty mature performances. And despite all their pedigree in this, AC Milan is just looking completely dysfunctional at the moment. I think that's what makes the difference in the line. And frankly, I think that and having a second match at home is probably the difference for Tottenham. Yeah, second match at home. That does make such a huge difference. Um, Because if AC Milan was to break the run of form and had that second match at the San Siro, yeah, I can see the game theory of that being a little different. Let's move along to Dortmund-Chelsea. Dortmund's plus 160. Chelsea's minus 200. Again, I am incredulous. What am I missing? No, this one I was surprised to see as well. Uh, when the matchup first came out, uh, both these teams then and since have kind of gone through injury hell, but are both looking reasonably healthy. Um, so I'm excited to at least get to see these two teams at full strength because it is an exciting matchup. Um, hopefully Dortmund can show a little bit more maturity than they have in the past few times they've reached this stage. And Chelsea, you know, has performed well in this tournament in the very, very recent past, but they have a nearly new lineup. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can come together and show some cohesion, um, as well as the fact that Graham Potter has never been on the stage before. So never I actually think that I, th- I think this one's close to a 50 50. I think Dortmund's huge value here. I think they're huge value. And lastly, of the trio, I'm not shocked they're favored, but I am shocked by this much. Man City. Don't play until next week. They're taking on a Red Bull Leipzig side that is plus 440 to beat them. This line is too high. And even if it weren't, I can't imagine a scenario in which I would not want to lay money on Red Bull Leipzig. Am I crazy? No, I love the Leipzig bet here. In fact, Leipzig beat Man City in the group stage last year. Uh, Man City is searching for answers at the moment, and Leipzig has definitely shown an ability to have a lapse of concentration. Um, I expect this one to be really exciting back and forth, but I think Leipzig has every chance in the world to upset City. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it a coin flip, but I'd go 60-40. I'll go 60-40 with you. Especially when you introduce the variables that come with these investigations. I mean, it just... God... City's extremely vulnerable right now, and Leipzig has some really solid attacking talent. Um, They're reasonably stout in the back, prone to a few mistakes here and there, but I think they can hold together well enough to make this really close. Closer than the odds suggest. Yeah, I do too. But this is just such a tough, tough draw, tough competition this year, really to make sense of, because Man City's plus 175 to be the outright winner of the competition, which is absurd. Absurd. Obviously, it's affected by the fact that Bayern Munich and PSG, who are second and third respectively, have to play each other in the first knockout round. But then after them, Liverpool at plus 1,000. And they have to play Real Madrid. So virtually even with Napoli, plus 1,000, plus 1,100. The idea that Napoli and Liverpool have the same odds is baffling. Napoli is a considerably better team and they have a considerably better draw. That doesn't make any sense to me. They've also already played in the competition and Napoli smoked them. I think what Spalletti has done to reinvigorate them is nothing short of remarkable. I think they're the most fun team to watch and I think they're also the best team. 
And I'm going to repeat verbatim what you've been saying for the last month. If you have not watched Napoli play yet this season, we cannot implore you enough to do it. If you think Serie A is a little too stale, a little too tacit for you, I promise you, your opinion will change if you watch what the Neapolitans are bringing. Can I just... Napoli's the best team in the tournament. That's just that's just the way it is. I mean, Napoli's the best team in the tournament, and, and Real Madrid controls the universe. I mean... I just kind of want to lay money on Napoli, Real Madrid, and uh, kick back. <laughs> See how the rest of everything shakes out. Um, Liverpool, man, plus one thousand. I just, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. It took so long for the bookies to adjust their odds to win the league, their odds to finish in the top four. Is this just a branding exercise? I mean, I. I I mean, I think it comes down to the fact that Liverpool has some European magic, but you know who has more European magic than Liverpool? Real Madrid. Ah, uh, yeah. And the way to beat me out Real Madrid right now is with a very, very hyperactive midfield and press, and Liverpool's midfield and press are dysfunctional. I just don't see how Liverpool comes out of that, to be honest. Yeah, and as much as people are saying that Kareem Benzema, who was their absolute talisman last campaign, is aging. He's going up against Joel Matip and Gomez. I don't think he's going to have a problem. Do you think Trent Alexander-Arnold's just miraculously going to be able to mark Vinny Jr.? Liverpool has gotten worse since they lost to Real Madrid last year. Liverpool, Real Madrid incrementally worse. Liverpool exponentially worse. This is all a long wind-up for Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich, who will be squaring off in a week's time. Yeah, I, I think Napoli is the best team in the tournament, but I, whoever wins this match immediately becomes, if not favorite, close to the favorite with Man City by the odds makers, surely. I mean, these are two of the three behemoths. Who would rather be right now? PSG or Bayern? PSG has Messi, but Mbappe is probably hurt. Bayern Munich has looked not great coming out of the winter break, but I think they're a little bit more of a complete team and definitely have more pedigree in this circumstance. Bayern Munich's a favorite. I think if I had to pick one, I would probably prefer to be Bayern Munich in this scenario. Yeah, I think so too. I think on balance, it's pretty even. But this matchup is really, really bad for PSG. I think the Bayern's fluidity, I think that their ability to attack and defend 11 players. I think they're just going to run riot in at least one of these two fixtures, and it could be in Paris. I don't see PSG having the fortress that they need to defend Bayern when they're clicking for any any type of onslaught that will preserve this tie for them. Yeah, Mike has brought it up a few times. I think that Bayern Munich is probably going to have about 11 people out there wearing business pants. I think PSG is going to wind up topping out at about six or seven. I think that'll be the difference. Yeah. And now they got Joe Cancelo. Who's got two assists in two games. So that's working out swell for them. Oh, God. He uh, 
he must have gotten a tip about this investigation. He's like smoking a cigar somewhere in Bavaria being like, not my problem. Oh, yeah. He's having a great time. <laughs> he's loving life, man. Um, and PSG, does the World Cup tension hurt or help them? I think that PSG definitely has shown some dysfunction coming out of the World Cup. They had a lot of really important players there and just quite haven't hit the same heights um, that you would expect from them. They've gotten better in the last couple weeks, but suddenly Mbappe's out injured for at least the first leg, probably. And I don't know if they have enough depth to really um, make up for that at all. Neymar and Messi are obviously magical, but I, I just kind of feel like they're a little bit neutered at the time they need them most. I mean, the more that I kind of talk about it, the more I'm sort of talking myself into the fact that Bayern should, might be the thinking man's choice to win this whole competition because I th- they should beat PSG, Seer in shambles, and Napoli. Napoli's fantastic. They got a long way to go. And I know Diego Maradona played there. But their recent history is not that of a team with a Champions League pedigree. Yeah, and if you feel confident that Bayern Munich or PSG is going to come through this, the odds they have right now are phenomenal. Um, That's such a good price for teams of that quality. Yeah, I'm beginning to think that this is is a de facto semi. I don't think there's any way around it. I agree. Unless one, unless the winner draws Napoli, I think these are two of the three best teams. Yeah, and I'm not saying Bayern is better than PSG. I just think this is a uniquely difficult matchup for Paris Saint Germain. And ooh, Bayern Napoli, that'd be a fun one. That would be a fun one. Is there anybody else, you know, in this field that, you know, might sneak up on somebody that might, you know, enters come on pretty strong. We doubted them in the group stages. They got two huge results that were crucial. Um, never, ever, ever count out Real Madrid. Benfica, that roster showed you what they can do on their day especially in Qatar. But this just feels like a weird, weird year. And I think it's like a three and a half horse race. Yeah, I, I think Benfica is probably the next best dark horse, but they lost Enzo Fernandez, which is you know one of their main pieces. It would have been exciting to watch them at full strength. They won a group with PSG and Juventus in it, so obviously they're capable. But I think that's probably going to be a bridge too far, losing their cornerstone in midfield um frankly it's wide open i mean man city who we've been talking about as a very flawed favorite Bayern munich has to play psg so whoever's going to do this is only going to have to play one of them and the best team in england the best team in spain the statistically second best team in italy and germany and france all of them are not in this tournament it's just a strange year where all the teams that have survived at this point are kind of benefiting from the fact that there's been a huge turnover the last 12 months we need to organize some sort of charitable event where arsenal can play napoli 
these sides these sides have to play this year. These sides have to play this year. I mean, it, with that, they that, might play in the Europe, Europa Super European Super Cup. That is that is an apt point. That would be next. Be next campaign. But or when is the European Super Cup? Is it in? Uh, I mean, like August. It's in, uh, August, yeah, 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 August, something like that. Yeah, I mean, frankly, Bayern Munich and PSG is the best tie of this round, but probably the next best matchup is in the Europa League with Barcelona Man United. Yeah, and we got that coming up this week because all of a sudden the Europa League stacked because all the best teams on the best leagues didn't make the Champions League last campaign. Let's get to some Europa League action because Don, Don, Don. Barcelona is playing Manchester United in not the Champions League, the Europa League. How do you think these sides are going to square up against each other? These are two former Pep protégés. One that's employing a very, very beautiful, fluid possession base, but still can be frisky in attack system. And then you got United, or gritty. Great counterattack, well disciplined, and they don't play Harry Maguire anymore. What do you think is going to happen once this uh, ball kicks off? Barcelona has been on fire lately. Um, in Spain, they are, along with Arsenal and Napoli, both started their season 16 2 and 1. So they started their campaign with 50 points in the first half. Um, <laughs> it's an incredible pace, but last time we saw Barcelona go up against. Elite competition and Inter and Bayern Munich, they didn't perform so well. So it'll be interesting to see them go up against Manchester United, who has really turned it on the last few weeks and month. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of the best matchups of the spring, honestly. I think Barcelona is probably a little bit better in a little bit better situation, but the tactical battle will be amazing. And these are two teams that are in this tournament because they had a really terrible down spell, but they're both very much on their way back. Don't tell anybody that this is a second tier competition because the gloves are coming off. The gloves are coming off. Especially especially if one of them is not in a European position, which I find highly unlikely, but we still got a lot, long way to go. Not to mention Juventus is in this tournament and it's probably their last remaining option to get back into Champions League next year. So they'll be gunning for oh. it. Um yeah. A lot of firepower wow. in the Europa League this year. Europa League's about as good as I can remember. Wow. Yeah. No, it's it's intense. It's been our summary of the European action. It's going to be kicking off this week. When we come back, we have the best betting tips in all the galaxy. So you can line your pockets with a fat wad of big league chew from that money that you win. Mr. Mike's going to tell you how to do it. We got his picks on the Just for Kicks podcast right after this. Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast. We have a special, special memo from Mike from high above us in the sky to tell you how to make your money. Hey, everyone. I unfortunately will be airborne during this week's recording, but wanted to still fly in my picks so that can continue to help you guys make some money because They've been a little uncannily, if that's a word, accurate lately, and I've personally been very happy. I hope you guys have been taking them. And this week, we've got, per our usual format, three that we focus on during the pod, 
a bonus one. I might throw in a few more if you follow just for kicks mitts on Instagram. Feel free to message me for betting tips, questions about matchups, etc. Happy to answer and interact there. But for this week's top three bets at number one, you've got Nottingham Forest and Fulham to draw. You can get that at plus 260. This one is at Craven Cottage. Forest is surprisingly one of the form sides in the league, albeit against not great competition lately. This one feels kind of like a stalemate, a nil-nil, a 1-1. And I think that Kaylor Navas in goal for Forrest, in the absence of the injured Dean Henderson, has been a very nice upgrade from Wayne Hennessy. And Fulham's defense has actually been much improved this year as compared to previous years. So that's a really nice line for a draw. The second bet I've got, to explain this, West Ham has a surprisingly good record against Chelsea, though, again, this one feels like a draw. You can take on FanDuel West Ham, what is a tie no bet, so they'll probably draw. It's plus 136. If it goes any other way, then it's just a push. You don't win or lose money. I feel like that's the safe bet there. And then finally, rounding it out, my upset of the week is Leicester City plus 240 over Tottenham. Spurs have actually won the last four of these fixtures and will be coming into this one really confident after defeating Man City. However, this is your classic banana peel, beat a quality squad, lay it all on the pitch, and then come out flat against somebody that you really should beat. I was really impressed by Leicester's new winger, Tete, who came straight into the side and allowed James Madison to function in his normal number 10 role as opposed to having to play wide. It made Leicester look night and day to, yeah, I guess how they've looked the rest of the season. So those are the three picks that I've got this week. Follow us on socials and ping me for more info. Okay, and to recap, Mike has the Fulham Nottingham Forest draw at plus 260. The West Ham Chelsea draw you do that, no bet. It's plus 128. Can you explain to the kids what that means, Steve? So draw no bet means there's only action if one of the two teams wins. If the match is a tie, then it's basically a push. Ooh. Gives you a little bit of insurance. Yeah, and West Ham Chelsea, they're they're made of draws. And Leicester over Spurs plus 240 is Mike's frisky pick of the week. But Steve, I think you got a bonus bet for us that commemorates a very, very special moment in Premier League history. Am I right? Yep. Congratulations to Harry Kane, becoming the third ever 200 goal scorer in Premier League history and the fastest to ever do it. And he also became the Tottenham Hotspur all-time leading scorer. Um so in honor of that, I usually don't chime in on the betting portion, but I feel very good about this one. Harry Kane as an anytime scorer this weekend is 115, plus 115 against Leicester. Um, he used to play for Leicester and gets that old club bounce. Um, so I think this one's hammer time. In 14 games against his former club, he scored 18 goals, scored in four consecutive against them, and Leicester is just not keeping clean sheets at the moment. Um, frankly, I might even push this one to plus 500 for Harry Kane to score multiple. Wow. Wow. Well, 
It wouldn't be the boldest move. It certainly could very easily prove lucrative based on his track record. Before we go, what are you going to be watching this weekend, Steve? Keep it on the Club World Cup final. Unfortunately, Seattle fell in the quarterfinal. Um, you know, tough place to show up in your preseason and have success, but it was fun to see them there nonetheless. Anyway, the final is 2 o'clock Saturday on Fox Sports 2. But other than that, I'll be watching Brentford Arsenal. It's the only matchup of top half teams this weekend. They're playing Saturday at 10 on Peacock Premium. Arsenal has an opportunity to extend their lead at the top of the table again after last week's uh, unfortunate events at Everton. But Brentford's been very clever this year, especially against top teams. It'll be interesting to see how they approach this. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. And let's see how if Arsenal can bounce back. I was going to say, I said unfortunate events, but all credit to Everton. That was one of the most Daishian performances ever. It was. And for that reason, even though I'm going to be watching quite a bit of action on Saturday and Sunday, the match I'm most excited for from this round of fixtures is on Monday. Because we got the Merseyside Derby. And for about the first time in, well, God knows how long, it's exciting to be an Everton fan for this one, right? I think they're probably more excited than Liverpool. I can't remember the last time that happened. Yeah, like, I mean, they're still chilling in the relegation zone, but they would love to do the dirty over Liverpool, and Liverpool are just sleepwalking. That's Monday. It's at 3. It's on USA. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole, so I'm not going to tell you what the odds are. But the theater is going to be amazing. And last week we talked about putting the blanket on the baby. Nobody puts the blanket on the baby like Jordan Pickford. That man can waste all the time. (laughs) Steve, you accidentally complimented Jordan Pickford's behavior when he was not wearing an England kit. Listen, man, he stretches the rules. and There's some times that I really wish he would just get on with it, but. He plays it to a T. He toes the line, and I've never seen anyone waste time like he does. He's an absolute master. Well, these are two exciting matches, and there's a host of great stuff coming up across all the leagues. Thank you for listening to the Just for Kicks podcast. You can check us out on Instagram at the Just for Kicks podcast. You can check us out on Twitter at <laughs> at. You can check us out on Twitter. You can check us out on Twitter at Just for Kicks FC. Most importantly, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of the other places in the wide world of the pod sphere, podiverse, follow us, like us, subscribe, do something with a review, any of it. Shout out Mesut Ozil. Happy retirement. Oh my God, Ozil retired? Yeah. Is he, uh, where, is he in Turkey? Yeah, he was playing in Turkey. Also, shout out to all of the people struggling through the aftermath of the earthquakes. Godspeed. Oh God, yeah. Godspeed indeed. Um, you know, I will say before we go, I think one of the biggest tragedies of how sport played out was Thomas Muller's lack of opportunity to play in South Africa in that semifinal against Spain because of one of the strangest yellow cards I've ever seen in my entire life. And 
if you don't remember how well Mesut Ozil was playing that tournament, the connection he had with Muller. Mesut Ozil is one of my favorite players to watch of all time. Um, I think he's one of the few people who was capable of things that no one else can even imagine. Um, Say what you want about him, but he was at one point the prototypical midfielder, in my opinion. Um, Game kind of just passed him by, but there was a funny interview of him recently in Turkey where they asked him what it was like to play with Cristiano, and he said, why don't you go ask him because he got to play with me. (laughs) That's basically basically how I feel about Mesut Ozil. Well, one of the biggest fights that Cristiano Ronaldo ever got in with um, Real Madrid brass was letting Mesut Ozil go to Arsenal because he provided the most assists. He was unbelievable on those teams. He was unfathomably good for Germany. He was unfathomably good for Real Madrid. He was unbelievably good for those Werder Bremen sides. Under Wenger, he was great for Arsenal. Under Emery, he was ostracized for completely unfair reasons. Um, it was just a, it's just a real bummer how he spent the back half of his career. And I hope that as time passes, we remember the early golden era. Yeah. He, he was one of the last great tens. That was, uh, he was special to watch. Yeah. Tens in the premier league hot from 1992 to 2012. (laughs) Is that it? I'll give it a few more years. He he had a couple good years on those Arsenal sides, but yeah, it, it's definitely with City system and Gagan pressing and Klopp's Liverpool. It's definitely gone away. Yeah, I look forward to the next uh, Michael Cox uh, book about it. But it's coming back. I have I have a good feeling. You think it'll come back? You think we'll have more uh, Bird Camps and Janinos and Zolas? You, you think people will find in their heart to welcome that player into their system? Without getting too into the weeds, I think the response to all this positional play is going to be a lot more individualism, and I'm excited to see the two battle it out for supremacy over the next decade or two. Sounds like uh, it's just going to be LVG against Cruyff spiritually, like it kind of always has been. Such is life in the beautiful game. Am I right? Hell yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Just for Kicks podcast. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you very soon.